0: Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of Epic, the Environmental Protection Information Center. Joining me is my colleague and co-worker, Matt Simmons. Hey Matt. Hey Tom. We're also joined by Jen Colt, Director of Humble Bay Keeper. Hey Jen.
1: Hey everybody.
0: Scott Greason of Friends of the Eel River. Hey Scott. Hey guys. And Alicia Heyman of Friends of the Eel River. Hey Alicia.
2: Hey Tom. Hey everyone.
0: All right. So today we are talking about the infamous coal train proposal, the the big news that dropped in the Lost Coast Outpost last week about a shady outside company that's trying to take over the North Coast Railroad Authority's right of way along the Eel River to likely put in a coal train and coal export facility to bring powder basin coal to market in China and, and other foreign markets. So let's let's dig into this because this both seems so absurd that how could it be possible? But the law is also figured in such a way that absurd and terrible results are probable here. So, Scott, let's talk about first what is the Surface Transportation Board, what is their role in all of this, and how the law is designed to prioritize coal trains in 2021 over rail-to-trail projects, like the Great Redwood Trail?
3: Well, to start off, Tom, the Surface Transportation Board is a small federal agency whose job is essentially to regulate the railroad industry. But in a deeper sense, its role is to protect the railroad industry and to ensure that the railroad industry can operate and run whatever railroads want to carry wherever it wants to go. So in a deeper sense, the the role of the Surface Transportation Board is to implement federal railroad laws preemption, which is to say overriding of state and local regulation that might otherwise impair rail transport or say you have to carry one thing and not another, or you have to charge higher prices for something and not another. So the STB's job is basically to say what rail companies can do, what prices they can charge, but also what railroads can be constructed, where, when, and how, who's got a license to run them. Because railroads are inherently kind of a monopoly, you can't have three railroads running in next to each other. It just doesn't work that way. We have this structure to try to say everybody gets access To the railroad on equal terms. But the other thing the STB does is say, if a railroad wants this, get out of the way, because this is going to be a public utility and, you know, we're going to build a railroad here. It doesn't matter if it's your property.
0: So we, we have had a railroad to Humboldt County in the past. I, I think it first opened in 1914 and it was operational until 1998 or so when it finally closed because it was just such a mess and was sliding into the Eel River and tunnels were collapsing and, and it was too expensive to
3: maintain. On an emergency basis, yeah.
0: Yeah. It, as everything was failing, the state set up the North Coast Railroad Authority who is the current owner of this rail line. So what is the North Coast Railroad Authority and how do they come into play here with the Surface Transportation Board and this STB takeover process that that is trying to occur?
3: Yeah, the, the short version of the long story is that the Union Pacific ran the old Northwestern Pacific Rail Line, but it was the most expensive line in the country to maintain. And as the timber industry produced smaller and smaller volumes and the storms of 55 and 64 hammered the railroad. It got less and less economic to run the railroad. So the union Pacific decided to abandon the line and bailed out. A guy stepped in and bought the line and called it the Eureka Southern for a little while, but he went bankrupt very quickly. So a coalition of North coast politicos set up a thing called the North coast railroad authority to purchase the rail line from basically the Bay Area up to Humboldt Bay, make it a state-owned railway, and to try to restore rail service. And that happened in the mid-90s. And for 20 years, the NCRA tried to rebuild the line, really without success, and tried to get federal grants, and things just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And we, Friends of the Eel River and Californians for Alternatives to Toxics, sued the NCRA to force them to follow the California Environmental Quality Act when they planned to basically rebuild the line through the Eel River Canyon. They said federal railroad law meant they didn't have to follow CEQA. We won a unanimous California Supreme Court case that said, you do have to follow CEQA because you're a California state agency and the state can force you to do that because you're using their money and it's their property. So that's when the tide really turned. And Senator McGuire moved to repurpose the northern end of the NCRA line from Willits up to Humboldt Bay as the Great Redwood Trail. So that's the story as most of us know it up till now. And to
0: build the Great Redwood Trail, we need to do something called rail banking. We need to turn it from from a potential rail line to a, a trail, and, and this is where the Surface Transportation Board has authority to to finally fully abandon the line and to rail bank it. You need
3: wait, 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 wait. No, wait, wait. no that's oh. the thing. The essence of rail banking is the NCRa or the owner of the line just telling you how it is. I don't know, no, I know. Educate me, man. (laughs) Go. You go to the STB and you say, we would abandon this line, as the Union Pacific tried to do, but we can use it for a trail, and someday, maybe, we can use it for rail again. So it's it's a step before abandonment. But because you're saying to the STB, we can't use this, the STB normally in the process of rail banking says, hey, does anybody else have a plan to use this or want to use this? And that process in rail banking is called an offer of financial assistance. And and that's where we are here. That's where we are here, except for another little tiny wrinkle, which is kind of stupid. But the skunk train, the guys who own the skunk train from Willits to Fort Bragg, except there's a tunnel falling in, so it doesn't go there. Those guys sent in a letter to the STB saying they wanted to make an offer of financial assistance to take over the piece of rail that runs out to Dos Rios from Willits. And they want to haul gravel from Dos Rios to Fort Bragg. And this is like the dumbest idea in the entire freaking universe because it would cost more to rebuild all that stuff than they'd ever make on hauling gravel. But anyway, they sent that in. And the response from the North Coast Railroad Authority's rail bank attorney was Dude, it's going to cost $2 billion to rebuild this rail line. You can't do it. So let's just call an end to the offers of financial assistance here. We want to go ahead and rail bank this. It's not realistic for anybody to make an offer. So let's close the door on that. And that is what prompted the real nightmare here, which is the 16th letter from a mysterious limited liability corporation in Wyoming.
0: Let's talk about that letter. So it, it came from a, a very, very generically named North Coast Railroad LLC or something like that. Do we know anything about this group and, and where this money is coming from and, and what they might want to do with the railroad if it, if it is such a, an expensive rail line to maintain and, and rebuild?
3: These guys say they have $1.2 billion in their August 16th filing. We don't know who they are. That's the nature of an LLC, is it hides who's behind it. We now have, I think, a good deal of information about who's probably behind it. But the filing itself doesn't tell us much. But what it tells us is they say they plan to rebuild the line and do high-volume shipping out of humble bet.
4: Yeah, Matt. They also hired attorneys to actually write this formal legal filing. It, this isn't just some crackpot on the street saying they have $1.2 billion dollars. It can feel like that, right? Because it, it sounds so crazy. But if someone took the time to pay real attorneys who specialize in railroad law to write this document saying that they have $1.2 billion and would like to reopen the line, heavy so I think worth mentioning because I think a lot of people hear about this and they, they don't take it as a real threat. But someone out there put real money up to say that they're a threat. So I, I think we should listen to it.
0: And we know that... Big Coal is frustrated by their inability to get their dirty climate forcing product to foreign markets because activists across the West Coast have been so successful in limiting new coal facilities or expanded coal shipments or have shut down historic coal shipments. So our friends in Columbia Riverkeeper or San Francisco Bay Keeper, all of these great groups have done really amazing work in trying to save our planet and save our climate by trying to restrict coal shipments to Asia
2: So the way I see it there's kind of two two fronts on which we need to really create barriers to this this serious threat we're facing the first the first thread is the railroad which we just outlined for you all we're dealing with the surface transportation board our path is a little bit limited there but the other way in which we can create barriers to this threat is at our port creating local ordinances as many other cities like you mentioned tom and other activists up and down the west coast have done and it's really important that we cover all of our bases and do everything we can to create as much resistance as possible
0: and let's let's put a pin in that just for a sec because i I want to hear from scott on on just the absolute threat here with the surface transportation board so scott with an offer of financial assistance the the hands of the Surface Transportation Board are tied, as I understand it.
3: Not exactly. Scott,
0: <laughs> work with my prompts here. <laughs> so, Scott, as I understand it, the, the hands of the Surface Transportation Board are somewhat tied if, if they receive an offer of financial assistance. Can, can you tell us about why we should take this threat very seriously?
3: Yeah, I I guess I would look at it more as a matter of how the Surface Transportation Board's precedents and regulations and overall inclinations are going to run here. It's not that they're forced to do something, but the, the problem we face is that the question the STB will ask is, do these people have a plan and do they have money sufficient to undertake the plan? And they won't ask, is this a good plan? Should we ship coal to Asia? They will ask, do these people have a plan? Does it make sense? And if they can show that they have a pile of money, even if they have kind of a stupid plan, I think we're in real trouble, and the reason we're in real trouble is that the offer of financial assistance process is not something that results in them like borrowing the railroad for a while. It's a federal eminent domain action in which the STB gives the railroad the whole thing, the right-of-way, to the new private entity. And they're not just going to take the part from Willits to Humboldt Bay that we want a rail bank and turn into the Great Redwood Trail. They're going to take all of it, including the smart line that runs through Sonoma and Marin, the commuter line, through a thing called a feeder line application. And then they will own the whole thing and will be in a terrible fight with a private company to which NEPA and CEQA and other environmental laws don't directly apply And that is a bad place for us to be. And it's obviously a devastating blow to the idea of a Great Redwood Trail. So that's why we're so freaked out. That's why Huffman and McGuire are taking this so seriously, is that we're in a process right now that could well result in a private company nobody really has any clear read on taking the line away.
1: And of course, this whole plan hinges on having a coal export terminal on Humboldt Bay. That's the only reason you would bring coal here to Eureka or Samoa, which would be devastating in so many ways, not just to Humboldt Bay, to every city it passes through because of all the dust, the coal poisoning the water as it's going by, the dust flying all over the place, the diesel fumes, et cetera, et cetera. And then all that coal would rain back down on us in the form of mercury which is already the main coal-fired power plants in Asia are already the main source of coal poisoning our fish. Here locally, there are many species of fish that have so much mercury concentrated in them that children and pregnant women shouldn't eat any of those fish. And the thought of this going through our bay is just, it, it would be an absolute tragedy after all the years people have spent working to restore and protect the Bay and to attract clean, sustainable types of businesses to, to the shores here. Fortunately, the one thing that gives me a lot of hope is up and down the West Coast, communities have fought back seven coal export terminals in Oregon and Washington and in the San Francisco Bay Area, and they've killed all seven of them in the last 10 years. So we have a big network of people that are very knowledgeable about this situation. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure it doesn't happen.
0: The Eco News report, we're talking about coal trains here and the threat of a new coal train coming into Humboldt County to serve foreign markets. So Alicia, I know that that you are concerned because of the impact to the Eel River friends of the Eel River so so tell us about the history of this railroad impacting the Eel River and the new threat that coal trains could produce for the for the Eel
2: Yeah well as as Scott mentioned we successfully fought off attempts to rebuild the line while circumventing Sequa in our case that went to the California Supreme Court in 2017. And the gist of that is that the Eel River Canyon is just not a suitable place for rail activity. It's geologically fragile. It's home to some really sensitive species, which include Chinook and Steelhead, which are both listed as threatened under the Federal Endangered Species Act, and Northern California Summer Steelhead, who were just listed as endangered under the California Endangered Species Act. So the way in which train traffic through the eel river canyon contributes sediment keeps landslides active and blocks fish passage to important cold water tributaries is just really devastating to the region and it would turn back the tide of progress that friends of the eel and so many other organizations have made in seeking to protect these fish and and create a possible future for them add to that the threat of coal being shipped on that train. And it's just, I mean, it just kind of makes me sick to my stomach to think about, to to be really frank about it. Like like Jen said, the the way that coal dust is going to infiltrate not just our waters, but our land and our air. It's it's horrifying to think that anyone would think that this is a good idea.
4: So I wanna, you know, hone in on this point because I think a lot of people hear coal train and they might think like, Oh, what's it matter what the train is transporting? Like it's not like the coal is gonna get out of the train. But can anyone talk a bit about why coal trains in particular are just so environmentally destructive and terrible?
0: They're open-topped. If you cover them, they can explode <laughs> and they just release plumes and plumes of coal dust that follow the train for, for the hundreds of miles of their journey. It, it it's kind of ridiculous, but it it it's true that it there's a black a black cloud that follows these trains like that pig pen character from peanuts right they they they're, they're, they're cool. dirty 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 and they're super heavy and they tip over quite a bit so coal also just bumps out train tracks are not necessarily smooth and coal literally falls out i remember when i was in law school, I, I externed for a judge up in Washington state and the judge was working on a, a coal train case where Clean Water Advocates brought a Clean Water Act enforcement lawsuit against Burlington Northern Santa Fe because coal just kept falling out. And they submitted as, as proof of this pictures of coal along river beds all along the the, the train track. And it, it was a routine enough thing that they said, look, this is a." This is a point source of pollution, and they don't have a permit for this. They need to be fined. They need to be stopped from doing this. Anyways, get off my, my, my soapbox there. Yeah.
3: Just say a little bit about what that means. I mean, Jen already told us that coal, when it's burned, produces mercury, but coal's actually poisonous in waterways. It's got heavy metals in it. It's not good for the fishies. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Or I would add the communities that rely on those fishies.
3: Exactly.
0: So let, let's talk a little bit more about global coal impacts. Matt, do you want to talk about what the most recent international panel on climate change said about, about climate change and what we have to do to prevent a global Armageddon?
4: Sure. Yeah. So definitely go back and listen to the previous Eco News Report episode where we talked about this if you haven't already. But the latest IPCC report, to sum it up really quickly, basically said, well, one, we already are experiencing the impacts of climate change and we are going to experience the impacts of climate change going forward no matter what we do today, right? It's, a lot of it's already locked in. But if we want to avoid catastrophic scenarios, we need to stop burning all fossil fuels pretty much in the next couple of years. Like I think a couple of years ago, they were saying 12 years and now they're saying, oh, that was too conservative. Sorry, we said 12 years. And now they're saying like three or four so why this is important here is that we're talking about coal, which is pretty much the dirtiest carbon fossil fuel you can burn. I mean, I know methane is is more intense, but it doesn't last as long as carbon does. And so just the amount of carbon density per ounce of coal that you burn is absurd. And it's the reason why so much of climate activism has been focused on getting coal plants in the U.S. shut down, right? And for a long time, they were even saying like, Let's transfer to natural gas because even though natural gas is terrible, it's at least better than coal, which it is. Right?
3: Yeah. It's like a low-hanging fruit, as if watermelon were hanging off the trees. Yeah. And so, so the idea that we here in Humboldt are going to be this stop along the
4: road for coal coming from the Midwest all the way to Asia to be burned, and not to mention the shipping industry isn't exactly eco groovy, right? So we're we're burning fossil fuels to get fossil fuels to Asia in order to burn them. The whole thing is just diametrically opposed to all of our climate goals and everything we need to accomplish there.
0: Alicia, now let's talk about the the defense of of our North Coast against coal interests. So I, I know that Friends of the Eel River and the North Coast Railroad Authority are really watching the Surface Transportation Board closely. Q, talk about the next steps there. And then we can talk about local ordinances and things that local governments can do to hamper, if not prohibit, coal exports from our area.
2: Well, when it comes to taking action with the Service Transportation Board, we are taking our cues from the Northwest Railroad Authority and Senator McGuire's office. Scott spoke a little bit about the complexities of the filings there and And the way in which the North Coast Railroad Authority is really bound by the processes at the Surface Transportation Board. So on the one hand, it, it may be helpful to just load that agency with as much evidence and data about just how decrepit the line really is. However, if the NCRA chooses to request to withdraw their rail banking application, then we want to support that action. So over the next few days, we're hoping to hear more from that agency about what they decide to do, and then we will provide all of our wonderful listeners and supporters here with information on how they can, in turn, support that action.
0: So be sure to check out the Friends of the Eel River's website at?
2: Eelriver.org.
0: There we go. And that's where you can find the most up-to-date information about the coal threat. So subscribe to their emails and support Friends of the Eel River because they have a lot of work on their hands with this coal project in addition to dam removal and all the other threats facing the eel river oh
2: yeah no no small work here
0: yeah right so now let's talk about local defense and what we can do here to try to hamper coal export because we maybe can't even prohibit this scott talk talk about what we can do
3: i I just want to back up for a sec and talk about The confusing situation we're in. And and I think we've explained how terrifying this is in a way, but there's another way in which it's just very confusing because we've got a lot of partial information so far about what's happening. And another part of the background here is that coal companies are going bankrupt constantly. And this is an environment in which grifters and scammers of every kind are really abundant. And this is the kind of situation where it's it's possible that somebody is being scammed, that all of us are maybe being scammed. But I think it's important for us to remember that the transcontinental railroad industry was built by idiot grifters and scammers. <laughs> who were manipulating legal and political systems to do terrible things that were very destructive often. So this is the the fact that it sounds idiotic is not really a a protection is I guess what I'm getting to.
0: Can we can we talk about about local ordinances because this is going to be something that comes up. There are there are some limited things that that local governments can do to try to restrict coal exports. Alicia, what do we know from the examples across the West Coast? What what do these look like and, and what are...
2: I think what we know is that we can put some amount of faith in our local municipalities to start immediately directing their staff to work on ordinances at the city of Eureka, the city of Arcata, at the Humboldt County Supervisors, and hopefully at the Harbor District as well. What those... What those ordinances or resolutions might look like is something that we're going to need our, our capable attorneys to really take a close look at. Because what we've learned from partners up and down the West Coast is that there, there has been some litigation and some challenges to some of the ordinances that we see in other places like Richmond, for example. So, you know, again, this is kind of a stay tuned piece, but I I would encourage people to put the pressure on your local representatives to make sure that they are on top of this, that they're taking this threat really seriously and that that they're doing everything they can to get out in front of the threat and create the obstacles that we need to prevent coal from
3: coming to our port. Yeah. And Alicia and Tom, at least, you're both natives of Washington and Washington has as a state, pretty successfully fought off coal exports now. And so we're kind of looking at the state-level project there, which has had a lot of components to try to think about how the state of California and local jurisdictions can work together to protect clean water and try to really make sure that this isn't our future.
0: I, I will put another sour note or, or damper on all of this, and, and Alicia mentioned this as well, our our ability to limit coal exports is limited as well the the federal constitution again is designed to favor moneyed interests above community interests and there's something called the, the the dormant commerce clause. So we are limited in our ability to put forward local ordinances or, or laws that limit interstate commerce. And so Humboldt County doesn't necessarily have a say in what can come out of Humboldt County or what can pass through Humboldt County. So other coal ordinances have been have been declared unconstitutional by our by our Ninth Circuit
3: Court of Appeals. Tom, anybody hearing that from you is going to think, yeah, and the federal government has tried to prevent Humboldt County from exporting a lot of things for a long time without a whole lot of success. So there's things people can do, the law says so or not. And ultimately, I am extremely confident that no railroad is going to operate through Humboldt County shipping coal in any length of time. Partly because of nature and partly because of,
0: you know. Absolutely. I'm saying this perhaps just to underline the real threat of this. It may sound dumb. It may seem too preposterous and too full of hucksters and crooks and criminals to ever be real. But the the, the law benefits hucksters, criminals, and crooks here. And right, so right. we we need to, as a community, be prepared and fight this with everything that we have. And so you need to support Friends of the Eel River, Humble Baykeeper, because these are going to be our frontline groups that are are fighting it. So go to eelriver.org, humblebaykeeper.org to sign up for their emails and give them love and support as they lead the charge here.
3: Thanks, Tom.
0: Yeah, of course.
3: Great. Thank Thanks, you. Tom. All right. Yeah.
0: See you, friends. This has been another episode of the Eco News Report. Join us next week on This Hemant Channel for more news from the North Coast of California.